0: Hello there and thank you for joining me i'm pastor Jay dylan proctor and here with me in the studio is pastor john Mills. i'll let him say hello hello Uh, We're going to get into a discussion today about having eyes to see and ears to hear. This is a very, very important concept, and it's one that really needs to be in our everyday vocabulary as we look to bring revival in the world around us. We look at all the tensions and things that build in our culture, and one of the things which underscores all of that is the question of whether or not people have eyes to see truth and ears to hear truth. When Jesus comes and deals with people throughout the New Testament, it's common that he talks about their spiritual sight. Uh, Pastor John gave a wonderful lesson that was aired yesterday that looked at the Gospel of John chapter 9 where there's the blind man that receives a sight. We're going to talk more about that in our conversation today, but I want us to really frame this in the broader scope of how important it is for people to have eyes to see and ears to hear because this is a concept that goes all throughout Scripture. You find so many verses, so many references about having eyes to see and ears to hear. And the truth is, people really can only have that spiritual conversion, and have those eyes to see and ears to hear when they have God working in their life. This isn't something that we can really conjure up on our own by our own power. So we're going to open up in prayer, and then we'll get into this conversation. Pastor John, if you would pray for us.
1: Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for your word and for what it means to us and for how you speak to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, help us today as we, as we discuss these matters, that you would use them, Lord, for your glory and your name. Amen.
0: Amen. And John, feel free to jump in whenever um, on our conversations here. I want us to open up, though, by going to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 and 3, or really, we'll read 2, 3, and 4. But I want us to pay attention to how the people of God throughout time, they have had an issue having eyes to see and ears to hear. So, going to Deuteronomy 29, in verse 2, it's Moses talking to the full assembly of the Israelites. And it says here, Moses summoned all, the Is- all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all of his servants, and to all his land. And the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, those, the great wonders. But to this day... The Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Now that scripture, it comes after Moses, he's with the full assembly of the people of God. They're out in the the wilderness and Moses is telling them, you've been through moments of great triumph. You've been through moments of great trial. Many of you were born as slaves in Egypt. And now we've been out here walking through the wilderness and through all of this. Many of you still do not have eyes to see. You don't have ears to hear. And he points in there that this is something that comes from God. But as we'll get further elaborated in the New Testament, people have to be willing to receive that gift from God. And so many times people are not willing to receive that. So for our conversation today, we're going to jump back towards the New Testament. John led a great Sunday school lesson out of John chapter nine. I encourage you to go and check out that video. But for now, I want us to talk about some elements that we found deep within your lesson yesterday. And John, why don't you just open up by saying a few thoughts on how important you think it is that we talk about having eyes to see and ears to hear. And really, is this something that we really should spend more time talking about? What are your thoughts in general just on that topic?
1: Well, I, it is important, you know, that we understand the significance. We kind of have the idea that just because people are around uh, Scripture, around preaching, that it actually is sinking in. But, you know, in America today, we have tons and tons of people that go to church, and they go to church often, and they hear all kinds of sermons and messages. It's not sinking in, though, because in their hearts, they're not— they haven't made the decision uh, to to accept Christ, to allow that to sink in. And so it kind of just hits them and washes off. And so we have the assumption, well, they're hearing these things, they're responding, but they're
0: not really. You just gave, I think, the best definition for this that I've heard. And that's the idea that having eyes to see and ears to hear is when you let something sink in. We have this kind of notion sold to us all, especially my generation, that people, they're naturally reasonable if you show them the facts, the evidence, they'll go along with it. It's not true. <laughs> it's it's never been true. That's not how our species works. That's not what it means to be um, a man or a woman. And the truth is, even though we're exposed to things, that doesn't mean it is going to sink in. And what we found yesterday is, when we looked, or when Pastor John led us through the study of of the Gospel of John the Blind Man, that there were a lot of people that reacted to the situation differently. It basically boils down to is there is a man who was born with a disability. Now, all the different parties, they wanted to know the why and the how. They wanted to know who sinned, why did they sin, where did this become you know, sinful, where does it become a disability? They have all those questions about that. But Jesus wants to move this in another direction. He comes to the man, he heals the man, and he tells people it's not about the sin, it's about what God can do. He heals the man, and suddenly this big inquiry comes, and they want to find out who Jesus is. You know, he's a sinner, we've got to force the world to see that he's a sinner. And in that, you have different people responding to Jesus differently. There are some who become very receptive of Jesus. And there are some, like those teachers of the law, who get very hostile to Jesus. John, I want us to talk about some of the different people in that story and how they responded to Jesus. And I actually want to start off with one that I had never really spent a lot of time thinking about to listening to you read the scripture yesterday. And that is the angle that the guards have on this, what the guard's perspective is. Because you look at people throughout history, people who've had the job of being a guard somewhere, a lot of times they're not necessarily thinking for themselves. They're just applying, um, executing what other orders were given to them. But I find it so fascinating that the guards who were sent out to arrest Jesus, they choose not to arrest Jesus. And when they report back to their bosses, essentially, they're going back to the bosses. They're saying, hey, what this man is saying has some merit to it. It appeared the guards actually had eyes to see and ears to hear now, I'm not saying how much they saw or heard, but it's clear that they had more eyes to see, more ears to hear than those sending them. They were willing to let Jesus' word sink in a lot deeper than were those sending them. What are your thoughts on that and the guards' angle that they had there?
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, you know, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were the ones who should have recognized spiritual truth. They were the ones who were set up for it. They had studied all of these things, you know. And it's interesting that it's the guards who, because they're open to the idea that this might be true, that they're willing, uh, you know, to see that. The the Pharisees are so, they're so dead set against that. There's nothing that Jesus could do to convince them that he, he was the Messiah, that he was not a sinner, you know you think jesus does these miracles and instead of saying this is the man of god they say he must have a demon it's a demon that the way that he does this you know yeah and so uh it just shows us how blind people can be and a lot of times it is those who uh, may not be you know the typical church people or whatever we think you know that respond best to uh, the message of jesus you know, I think back at the cross, you had the centurion. And after the resurrection, when the, the uh, temple veil split and there were earthquakes and it talks about people coming out of their graves, it says the centurion said, this must be or must have been the Son of God. And you had the Pharisees and the scribes standing right there beside the centurion and they never would admit that.
0: Never. And I think it is fascinating. You you bring up the centurion, and throughout the gospel, it's interesting the people that do respond to Jesus' message. And the Pharisees, it's clear, the teachers of the law, the scribes, and even the Sadducees, by and large, they have made up their mind on the front end that they're not going to be willing to see this. They're not going to be willing to hear it. But there are others, people whose occupation, like if you're a guard, if you're a soldier, you're not really put in a position where a lot of people care what you think. <laughs> Um, So you're not really making up decisions on the front end. But also, when you meet Jesus, Jesus does something quite unique where he does care about you and care about what you think. And he presents a message for you. Again, he's not presenting a message so somebody will go in back and report it to a teacher. He doesn't go and talk to people and say, well, go report that to a governor somewhere because it's really for them. Jesus gives a message that's relevant to them and they respond to that. So I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that before we go on to our next topic
1: uh no not really we can go ahead
0: all right so we'll we'll go along um trying to get all these in here for time purposes um which actually let's get to that one of the things that you brought up yesterday is so many times we look past the limits of time we think that just because the world is like it is today that's bound to be how it is tomorrow and we forget that God works in us and God wants us to be prepared for different situations that come up and when it comes to to changing Things throughout the world. One of the things that I have come to realize is the the belief system that people hold in their lives. What they really believe matters a lot more than does their intentions on how they're going to plan out their day. Um, I highly doubt that the blind man there in John nine expected to be receiving a sight that day. However, how he responded to Jesus and how he was willing to be receptive of Jesus, his willingness to have spiritual eyes that see and spiritual ears that hear. That sunk in to a much deeper, a much more visceral level than did any plan he may have had on the beginning of that day. And also when he goes in and they're inquiring with him, they're having this interview with him, it guides how he responds to them a lot more than does necessarily his intentions. Um, Though, of course, it's important to have (laughs) deliberate intentions, of course, but simply what I'm saying is, is people do have to realize that you cannot predict the future. And having a well-defined worldview, having that biblical understanding nailed down. Again, God doesn't come to us and say, you've got to figure out all the answers. But coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I want the eyes to see, the ears to hear that you've given, that, that you give to us. Having that can go a lot further than, again, some of the, the plans and the, the theological studies that the Pharisees and Sadducees can do. What, what are your thoughts a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, I think so. That. The idea of worldview is, is critical. It's crucial because it shapes, you know, what facts you allow in and what facts you keep out, you know, what you're willing to recognize as fact and what you're not. And so, you know, the, the man who was born blind, his worldview was, I don't know who this man Jesus is. I don't know what's going on, but I do know that I was blind and now I see and there's no way that that could have been produced you know, by someone who was not from God and the Pharisees of course you know, their world view is no matter what Jesus does he cannot be from God because he's going against what we've set up and so you know the, the world view there determines what they see as truth and what they don't see as truth the Pharisees I find it so interesting that, you know, they cannot believe that Jesus actually did this. And so they go to the parents and they say, you know, was he really born blind? Was this just a hoax? And then they come back to the man and say, "Ah, okay, something has to be wrong here. You know, yeah, this could not have happened the way you claim it to have happened. Uh, Yeah, I,
0: I find it fascinating. You bring up the whole notion of a hoax. They're willing to investigate and do some real investigating. To find out if it's a hoax, but as soon as it comes to the truth that this con this has some conflict with their the notion that they had already accepted, as soon as there's a worldview conflict, that's where they totally shut down. That's where they totally cease investigating to any serious extent. Then it basically devolves into name calling and threats of uh, sending your family five. outside into exile and stuff like that. As soon as there is a worldview conflict, the real investigation, the pursuit of truth, it comes to a complete stop.
1: Yeah, they've decided in advance what the answer is. And so, you know, they investigate as long as it's going in their direction, but, you know, then they stop.
0: Right. And in the eyes of the Pharisees, they already had an idea. However, they could not permit the the notion that their expertise could be wrong. And yesterday, you brought up a really interesting story that I wasn't familiar with about the, I believe it was the Persian army that was coming in. And they kind of made the decision that because it's the Sabbath, we can't do any work. Therefore, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves against this. And one of the things that we learn from this is that even if people do not have eyes to see the truth that God wants them to have, The various idols on the world will give people eyes to see and ears to hear whatever that idol wants. And whenever people start investing in ideas, when they've made a commitment to say, this is how we're going to view the Sabbath, or insert your idol here, whatever it is that comes to guide your moral compass other than God, whenever people start investing into that, and by investing, I mean they've committed to it, they've spent years, they've built their whole lives around whatever these things are, Whenever it comes to the idea of actually admitting you're wrong, people are very resistant to do that. And one of the things that you you do kind of find um, in cases like this, that if they admit that Jesus is blessing people on the Sabbath, then in a sense, they kind of have to admit that they've been treating the Sabbath wrong in the past. And And there may be some resistance that says we don't want to do that, even though. I mean, there there is a righteous way to navigate that and say, "Well, God has revealed this to us," so we we move forwards. But they're kind of very hesitant to do that. In fact, they would rather fight it than pursue God's revelation.
1: Yeah, I I think that's true. Um, they had invested so much of themselves in this one particular idea, you know, that they could not come to admit that that it could be wrong. Yeah, and you know, they had set themselves up to where they were the, the judge over everybody else as far as what is accepted and what's not accepted. And so, you know, it's a challenge to their authority as well. If they allow Jesus to get away with this, you know, then they they feel like they're giving up some of their own authority, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think you're, you're spot on with that. Um, a couple of other things before we wrap up. You mentioned the theological mystery that comes with somebody being born blind, you know, why would God let this happen? One of the things that's fascinating and you, you mentioned this yesterday in your Sunday school lesson that Jesus takes the theological mystery and he he converts that situation into a a medium. It's a canvas where the light of of God can be shined into the whole world. And it's so fascinating because this actually happens a lot throughout life. We have things that are theological mysteries. But the truth is, is whenever we come to them, we're oftentimes more like the disciples who want to know the high and why, wow and and we get really wrapped up in the sin. And Jesus oftentimes wants us to say, hey, the question is not about the how and why. The man is born blind. That's not how I, I wanted everyone to live. But let me show you how I'm going to use this, how God is going to use this to give people light, to move people to a place where there are aspirations, to where there's something to reach up to, to something that gives a deeper meaning than just sitting around and bickering over who sinned and when and for how long and what that did. Um, which again, that's not that saying one should ignore sin, but with a situation like this, um, when you're actually looking at a real situation like this, you're, you're missing the point whenever you... you focus on that side of the mystery, as opposed to looking at how God can work in situations. And I do find it fascinating that Jesus addresses the theological mystery of of blindness enough to kind of put an end to that side of the conversation, but then he spends the rest of his time going somewhere with it and actually doing things that change the world. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. You know, the disciples— they can only see two choices. It has to be either this man sinned or his parents sinned. Yeah. One of those two. And so they don't ask Jesus, why did this happen? They ask Jesus, was it this or was it this? And it doesn't even come into their their minds that it might not be either of those. It might be something totally different, you know. And we want to spend our time, you know, kind of focusing on the blame and focusing uh, on on uh, who caused this or who brought it about but that does nothing with helping us to actually get through the suffering. yeah you know if we know that the suffering was caused specifically by this person, it's still hard to deal with. Now if we take the perspective, no matter who caused this, it's working for the glory of God it gives us uh, you know a lot of of uh, fortitude in dealing with sufferings knowing, that what we are doing is, is accomplishing something. And, I, you know, it's a great comfort to think that a lot of times we realize we are responsible uh, for the situations we find ourselves in. It's our sin that's brought us to that point. But we can also realize even if we are responsible for getting us in that situation, that situation can be used by God for his glory.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, if, if we allow him to. And so, you know, it's a great comfort to think no matter what I've done to mess up, uh, God can make that out for his glory. And so I can end up serving as God's glory or for God's glory.
0: Certainly. And when we get back to talking about the, the whole worldview that people espouse, that guides their lives, one of the things that we live and contend with in the modern day and age is there's a lot of people, again, especially people my age and and the, the younger age groups have been sold a bill of goods that is you can go through life without anything, confrontation without anything, suffering. If you feel a certain way, you know, live out your truth, just get right out there. And if anybody challenges you, it's their fault. Um, one of the things that's true about the biblical understanding and the eyes to see and ears to hear that God gives us is that there are a lot of pleasant things that people have to give up when you come to meet God. A lot of those pleasurable sins that feel so good, you know, those things, they're ultimately corrupting, and God wants us to have a deeper meaning than that. Furthermore, um, when it comes to how we actually deal with suffering and unpleasant things, the the purpose of our faith and the aim of walking with God is not just simple pain avoidance, but God gives us a deeper meaning that looks to something of much more lasting value. And one of the phenomenal things, and you referenced this a little bit uh, in your lesson yesterday, is that people find that they did not know what would actually bring them fulfillment. I know you were talking yesterday about the the purpose of our life is that holiness, um, which is connected to your wholeness being made complete, being set apart for God, and really coming towards that telos, that teleos, that moment where God designed you for something and you're reaching up to it. Sometimes there's discomfort on that journey sometimes you got to give up some things you liked but God gives you a, a meaning and purpose and sometimes you find joy in ways that you couldn't have even imagined beforehand. Any thoughts on that before we get to our last oh okay yeah I I, I would agree you
1: know uh, God created us to find our, our contentment and our enjoyment in him and that's certainly true along the way how he brings that about, is going to be far beyond our comprehension. You know, if we if we leave it up to ourselves to decide, what do I need to do to be happy? Most of the time we mess it up, yeah. you know, no matter what it is. We, we choose the wrong choices. We get, uh, you know, we make bad decisions. And so God is, is telling us, you know, pursue my glory. And then, uh, you know, in the end, it's still going to profit you. Yeah, the best thing you can do is to pursue my glory.
0: Yeah, and going back to that scripture I used to frame this conversation out of Deuteronomy 29, by this point in time with the the people of God, they're out in the wilderness. If you were to ask any of them who had been brought out in the Exodus, so they're not like a child that's been born while they're in the wilderness or something like that, but somebody who actually was born a slave and walked outside, if you were to come to them while they were young and said, what would make you happy? I would imagine a lot of them would say being freed from slavery. If you would have come to a lot of them who were hungry while their illness, saying, What would make you happy? You know, food. They got manna. They got all of these gifts of God, and yet they still were not happy time and time again. The things they thought would make them happy ultimately didn't. Um, and some very logical things to make you happy. Talking about your basic needs being met, they've got this wonderful promise of the promised land. And not only is it just something out there where you hear about it, you know, in the distant future, for these people, it's get up, pack your things, you're going there right now. But even for them, they still didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear the good things that God had in store for them, and they wouldn't let it sink in because so many of them were just absorbed in what they wanted, what they wanted to look at, and really having their own person define what would be meaningful in life rather than letting God do that for them. So, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we get to our last spit here. Um, the last thing I want us to talk about is a different definition of miracle. This is something you brought up yesterday, and you kind of hinted at that everything in life gets unexplainable to a point. I have a friend who works for GM, and they make cars. There's a lot of different engineers and people that come together, and not really any one person that knows all the inner workings of that. Um, there's a lot of things that we may not know all the details of, but when it comes to our own bodies, you know, We know a lot about the science, about how our body works, but at some point we know that the immune system reacts a certain way and everything really gets unexplainable at a point. Like we may have expertise that gets so far. We may have some understandings about how our brain chemistry is set up, but at the end we, you know, we can't just put somebody in a machine and read their brain. We can't just create a brain because there's, there's still a lot of things about it we don't know. Um... And you, you brought up this idea that we need a different definition of miracle. And I want to take that conversation a little bit further and say, perhaps we need a different definition of supernatural as well. Because there are things which are extraordinary, phenomenal that people consider miraculous that are, if, if we're being honest, they're just God's actual created order working out as its created order. Um, it seems almost supernatural for people to think of God working in their lives for God's hand of providence, but yet this is what God designed for us all along. So we'll close with this conversation on what do you think of, of us perhaps not only having a new definition for miracle, but also supernatural as well?
1: Well, I, I think you're right. You know, our idea of what is natural and what is supernatural, you know, changes over time. You know, you if you went back you know, a thousand years ago, and they saw some of the things that we can do now, they would have had to consider them supernatural. You know, you go to the grocery store and you see a guy walking down the aisle and he's talking into his Bluetooth, you know, and he's communicating with somebody around the world. You think, wow, how in the world did that happen? And so our idea of supernatural is limited to what we think we can explain. And, you know, when it comes down to it, we have explanations but they're very surface explanations you know Uh, we don't really know why things are happening we can kind of just describe them and so uh, we have to realize that yeah there's a whole lot to this world and the way this world works that that we're never going to understand and uh, yeah so the idea of, of natural and supernatural again you know we like to divide things into natural and supernatural when the important thing is, it's God working, whether it's by natural or what we consider supernatural means.
0: Yeah. Well, John, this has been a tremendously fun conversation, um, and we're going to wrap things up there. If you would close us out in prayer, we'll end on that note. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your, your kindness to us.
1: We thank you, Lord, for how willing you are to, to give us light, to give us spiritual light and how we often resist that light, but your patience and your long-suffering and how you continue, Lord, to be gracious to us. And we thank you for that in your name. Amen.